Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and neighbors, welcome once again to Monster Movie Funtime Go and 31 Days of Horror. Day number 21. My guest today is Amber Gray. How you doing today, Amber? I'm good. How are you, Dominic? I'm doing all right. I'm ready to talk about one of my favorite horror movies, The Frighteners from 1996. (laughs) It is uh, in color from 1996, 110 minutes, co-production of the United States and New Zealand. Budget is 26 million, box office 29.3. So not a big profit (laughs) wow that's disappointing yeah it's a pretty narrow margin there it was directed by an obscure little new zealand director named peter jackson i'll be surprised if anyone's heard of him (laughs) this was uh before he hit it big i already knew who he was because i had seen dead alive and meet the feebles i was at Heavenly Creatures, Stan. Um, and yeah. I think most most women my age probably were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of the now listen true crime podcasts. We all started yeah. with Heavenly Creatures. I didn't see that till much later, but I think my brother went to see it in the theater, not knowing it was Peter Jackson. And then he sees Wingnut Productions come on the screen and he started laughing <laughs> <laughs> because he had seen Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles. And the thing is, yeah, it's a true crime movie about a couple of young lesbian girls but you can see the peter jackson-ness of it you can see some precursor to lord of the rings in it even and you can see some of the violence of dead alive in it as well because there is a murder in it yeah yeah and it's looking back i rewatched that movie not too long ago and it's much more violent than i remembered like when I saw it when I was like in the eighth grade, maybe that didn't yeah. quite register to me as it did recently. Right. You think it's not in the wheelhouse of what Peter's been doing up to that point until you actually watch it. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is totally is. a Peter Jackson movie. And of course, he went on to do Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which are violent in their own way. This movie is a ghost movie, though, and although a bunch of people die in it, it is not bloody at all. No, not at all. I, I mean, and it's comedy horror, and I, I, yeah, I really feel like it leans more towards comedy. And have you ever seen Dead Alive, uh, also known as Brain Dead? I haven't. It's hard to find right now. It's not streaming anywhere. It is the single bloodiest movie ever made. It's the bloodiest thing I've ever seen. Interesting. And I'm pretty pretty sure it is the bloodiest movie. But it is also a comedy. (laughs) That's awesome. It's very much a horror comedy. I call it a symphony of blood. (laughs) But yeah, it's not streaming right now. You can't buy it on digital. You might be able to get a pricey 
DVD. I don't know if it's been out on Blu-ray. I used to have it on VHS because that's how old I am. Oh, I had an impressive VHS collection. Yeah. Well, you should watch it if you get the chance. Anyway, this movie, The Frighteners, which uh, is Peter Jackson kind of moving out of being a little independent New Zealand filmmaker and becoming a more mainstream Hollywood. I mean, it's a universal picture. Mainstream Hollywood director. It stars Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister, Trini Alvarado as Lucy Linsky. You know, it was driving me nuts. Trini was, Trini Alvarado, I kept like, I know this actress, I know her from somewhere. I kept looking at her filmography. And then, because I got 90s, 80s or 90s stuff, and like, no, I don't know her for any of that. And then I looked at the most recent thing she had been in, which was The Staircase, the Michael Peterson it had been a documentary on Netflix, and then they dramatized it for HBO Max, and she was in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've seen her in other stuff. Yeah, I'm not well, sure I've uh, seen her in other things. Well, style hasn't changed much over the years. Let's, I'm just taking a quick look here. No, I don't think I've seen... Oh, uh, she was on Fringe in one episode. <laughs> uh, let's see, who else do we got? We have Peter Dobson as Ray Linsky. Her husband, John Aston, as the judge, and in very heavy makeup, not necessarily recognizable if you don't already know that it's him. Yeah, I wouldn't have caught his name flash across the screen at the beginning in the opening credits. Mm -hmm. And then about halfway through the movie, I said, I thought John Aston was in this. So I looked it up and I was like, okay. That happened to me once at the... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original. Uh-huh. I saw Paul Rubens in the opening credits, and it wasn't until the closing credits and a little tag-on scene <laughs> that I realized who he had played. Who was he in that? He's the assistant vampire. Oh! Rutger oh. Howard's the main. So there's a bit at the very end where he's still dying. He's been stabbed with a ruler. Yes. And there's a bit at the very end where he's clutching the ruler and going, ooh, ah, and you can see the the Paul Rubenness of it uh-huh. when he's doing when he's doing that bit. This came up in another podcast. In what we do in the shadows, he is on the Council of Vampires as Paul. The Council of Vampires oh, okay. is all made up of actors who've played vampires. Oh, how funny! And it's implied, and they're all using their own names, so it's implied the actual actors are also actually vampires. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, Jeffrey Combs is Milton Dammers. The FBI guy loved Jeffrey Combs. Horror fans would know him as the reanimator. Sci-fi fans would know him as multiple parts in multiple Star Treks. D. Wallace Stone as Patricia Bailey. Jake Busey, that's Gary's son, as John Bartlett. Looking exactly like a father in this movie. <laughs> it's a surprise to nobody that he is Gary's son. Yeah. Chai McBride as Cyrus, Jim Fife as Stuart, Troy Evans as Sheriff Walt Perry, Juliana McCarthy as Old Lady Bradley, <laughs> R. Lee Emery as Hills, Hiles, Hills. He's the sergeant ghost. It's R. Lee Emery as R. Lee Emery is what's uh-huh. happening. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it was a full metal jacket for a moment there. Yes, it's a very... <laughs> Elizabeth Hawthorne as Magda Reese Jones. Yes, this is a very 90s movie with the Arlie Emery and the Chai McBride. So uh, also Peter Jackson is a cameos as a man with piercings. His son Billy is a baby and a bouncer. 
Melanie Linsky, who was in Heavenly Creatures, cameos as the deputy, who's briefly seen standing next next to Lucy Linsky, who is the character was named after her. And Brian McCrawlery, I don't know who that is, but I'm supposed to because they're pointing it out, is victim number 38. And huh. Angela Bloomfield <laughs> plays Frank's deceased wife, Deborah. I'm getting all this off of Wikipedia. And this is like, in addition, these are like cameos they're drawing our attention to. So I'm supposed to know who who those people are. But I think they're New Zealand people, probably friends of Peter that he's worked with. So hey. that's our stats. Any preliminary thoughts on this film, Amber? So I thought that I had not seen it, but then after watch start, you know, a, a few, 10 to 15 minutes in or so, I was like, oh, yes. This was one of those movies that when I was a kid was always on HBO. <laughs> it was one <laughs> okay. of those that it felt like I every time that. you turned it on, this was on. <laughs> was it one of the ones you had to catch several times before you saw it all the way through? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You keep coming in part way through it. Uh huh. Yeah, you always catch it right when something like crazy is happening, and then you lose interest <laughs> because you don't know what what, <laughs> what led up to it. You see, kids, in the old days, you had to watch a show when the network decided it was going to be on, <laughs> or maybe you might record it on your VHS, your video home system, on your VCR, <laughs> your video cassette recorder. But you couldn't just boot it up any old time you wanted to. So you tend to come into things partway through, especially on those movie stations. So, yeah, you so you had seen it. It all started coming back to you. Yeah. I saw this in the theater, and I think I specifically went because I knew it was a Peter Jackson movie. And uh, I used to own it on VHS, the aforementioned VHS. And, uh, and now I have, a, I think, both a physical and a digital copy. I still buy physical copies of stuff. Oh, yeah. That's how I am with books. I still want an actual book. I don't want to... I mean, but I do still buy the digital copy, too, so... <laughs> I'm trying to cut back on the physical copies. It takes up a lot of space. Yeah. So how long had it been since you had this? Oh, I probably watched it last year or the year before during the, oh, so during there the annual... Any... No. There's always, you know, an, uh, there's an annual October horror binge that happens yeah. every year. So <laughs> if it wasn't last year, it was probably the year before during October that I that I watched it. So, yeah, it's one yeah. of my favorites. Well, let's jump into the summary that we got off of Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> In 1990, architect Frank Bannister's wife, Deborah, dies in a car accident. He abandons his profession and his unfinished dream house sits incomplete. Following the accident, Frank gained the power to see ghosts and he befriends three. That's not how the movie starts, though. The movie starts with, what's her name, being chased, Patricia, being chased yes. through the house mm -hmm. by a ghost. And the, the ghost... Sorry, I said in that moment that I had a new, a new irrational fear had been unlocked, and that is wallpaper people. <laughs> fear, fear of like wallpaper. <laughs> Wallpaper. I was so like, okay. The ghost manifests a very interesting way in that he has, he seems to have to have almost like a, having a sheet on on top of him, like an old school ghost. He sort of pushes out through the wallpaper and uh, gives himself a form that way. So it's like he can affect the world kind of indirectly by pushing on things physically. And, and so we see sort of an outline of him as he pushes through the wallpaper. But this opening scene is kind of weird out. 
later, you know, when we learn what we learn later, it doesn't quite make sense unless they're just goofing around. So, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, that is bizarre. And then doesn't the mother say something there that I, I, later I was like trying to connect it? Right. She says like she's young or something. Yeah. I don't know if they're doing it to fuck with the mother. So the ghost is chasing this girl through the house, and it seems like it's trying to uh, kill her. But we find out later. I'm going to go ahead and say, the, folks, we spoil all these movies. So if you haven't seen it, stop and go watch it now. We find out later that they're in cahoots together. She's his girlfriend. He's her dead boyfriend. So it doesn't quite make sense that he's chasing her around trying to kill her unless this is just some game that they play. Or just the thing that they're doing to freak the mother out. So, I don't know. But it is an effective opening scene. It lets you know what you're in for right from the top. Yeah, and I I did read somewhere on Wikipedia, I think, that this was supposed to be a spin-off or something from Tales from the Crypt. And, uh, yes. And I did think this opening was very reminiscent of Tales from the Crypt. Is this a spin-off film of the television series Tales from the Crypt? They did do one or two Tales from the Crypt movies. So maybe uh -huh. it was going to be Tales from the Crypt Presents. Zemeckis was involved somehow. Uh, well, he was... Uh, was he a producer? No, it doesn't look like he was a producer of the final product. But Zemeckis thought Jackson would be better off directing it than he himself. So there you go. And what a digital did the effects. Did the... Wallpaper stuff that we're talking about. <laughs> All those wallpaper people. I seem to recall somewhere at the time saying that this was the most effects-heavy movie at the time ever done. Mm -hmm. Computer computer effects. Which, yeah. yeah, every time a ghost appears, all the ghosts are doing a computer effect the whole mm -hmm. time they're on the screen. In addition to all that other stuff going on. Anyway, Frank has made friends with three ghosts. The 70s street gangster Cyrus, 50s nerd Stuart, and the judge, a gunslinger from the Old West. And they have a deal. They haunt houses. And then Frank comes along as a ghostbuster or exorcist or whatever and gets rid of them for a fee. But most yeah. of the locals think he's just some kind of con man, which he is. I mean, the ghosts are real, but he is also running a con. Yeah. And that's one of the things I liked about this movie that that was just an unusual take on the whole thing the idea that he would make this arrangement with these ghosts i really liked that yeah soon after frank Kahn's local health nut ray linsky and his wife lucy a physician ray dies of a heart attack frank discovers that there is an entity appearing as the grin reaper killing people first marking numbers on their foreheads that only frank sees deborah had a similar number when she was found uh, back in 1990. Frank's ability to foretell the murders puts him under suspicion with the police and FBI agent Milton Dammers, who is convinced Frank is responsible. Frank is arrested for killing newspaper editor Magda Reese Jones, who had attacked him in the press. It was actually the Grim Reaper who killed Reese Jones, despite Frank's attempts to prevent it. So he will, like, reach into your chest and crush your heart. I guess he can interact with the world enough to do that. Yeah, I I had a couple of qualms, but, you know, he, because it kind of establishes in that first scene that he, like, needs something physical to, like, push through to interact, but then he can just rip people's hearts out later. Well, the other guys, you know, they can throw lamps around and pick things up and, you know, ghost stuff, 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, the rules of ghosts are <laughs> are tricky because they can they can move shit around, but then they can also pass through stuff. So they seem to have some kind of limited control. The movie Ghost addresses it, the whole thing more directly <laughs> than this one does. Yes. Mm-hmm. About what the rules are and how much you got to sort of exert effort to affect things physically. So I don't know, the, but that seems to be what he he can affects things to a degree, but he can also pass through things. So he can pass through your chest and then <laughs> squeeze your heart. Uh, Frank seems to feel it when they pass through him. Yes, but but I, mean, I would think if like affected by it, it knocks him over yeah. and yeah, yeah. But if ghosts were real, people would be, and there were a lot of them. People would be walking through them all the time, and you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily notice. Right? Ooh, is there one with me right now? Yeah, maybe. Even, maybe couldn't you wouldn't <laughs> know. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Lucy investigates the murders and becomes a target of the Grim Reaper. She is attacked while visiting Frank in jail, but they escape with the help of Cyrus and Stuart, who are both dissolved in the process. Frank wants to commit suicide to stop the Grim Reaper. Lucy helps Frank have a near-death experience by putting him into hyperthermia and using barbiturates to stop his heart. Uh, she's a, is she a doctor or is she just a nurse? Uh, she's a doctor. Because at she's one point, the, yeah, the uh, ghost of Ray says something about having had everything, a wife right. that was a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So Ray is a, just a total D-bag. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's yeah. a health nut. He's a jerk. You don't get why she's with him. She does say something about sometimes you, when she's talking about the um, the girl who fell in love with the serial killer, she says, uh, you know, sometimes you're you're young and you just fall in love with the wrong person. And it's clear that she's talking about herself. Yes. But as much of a as a much of a jerk as Ray is, because he uh, spent all the money. She's, he spent all of her money. She wants to contact him after he's died mm-hmm. and wants Frank to help to find out where, what he did with her money. With, where are the investments? And there aren't any. He lo- Well, he lost them on yeah. a bad investment. Uh, but as much of a as of a jerk as he is, he does try to protect her as best as he can when he's a spirit. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate. There's a point when she's going into the big spooky house and Ray's trying to stop her and he's trying to protect her. So I I appreciated that. Gave me some sympathy for poor old Ray. <laughs> well, you had to have some some sort of you know something to make him a little bit sympathetic <laughs> because yeah. before yeah. that he was just. Completely yeah. unlikable. 
But you can see in that moment that, okay, maybe this is why she liked him. Yeah. In his ghostly form, Frank confronts the Grim Reaper and discovers that he is the ghost of Johnny Bartlett, a psychiatric hospital orderly who killed 12 people in 1964 before being captured, convicted, and executed. Newspaper reports reveal that his greatest desire was, was to become the most prolific serial killer ever, showing pride in killing more than contemporaries like Charles Starkweather. Patricia Bradley, then a teenager, was accused as his accomplice, although she escaped the death penalty due to her underage status. Lucy resurrects Frank, and they visit Patricia. Unknown to them, Patricia is still in love with Bartlett and on friendly, homicidal terms with Bartlett's ghost, and eventually kills her own mother, who had been trying to monitor her daughter's behavior. This is a... We see this kind of character, the mother, in a movie every now and then. Somebody that seems like an abusive asshole but it turns mm -hmm. out that they they know something that we don't right and they're trying to either protect someone or protect everyone else they're trying to keep a lid on things and uh keep things from getting worse and we don't realize it until it's too late right but they could have just said like hey there's this homicidal ghost here in my house yeah. <laughs> so stamp I always like that moment in the movie when you're like, oh, when you realize it's something different is happening than what you thought and the person's motivations yeah. are not at all what you had thought. So uh, let's see. Where was it? Lucy and Frank trap Bartlett's spirit in his urn, which Patricia has kept. The pair make for the chapel of the now abandoned psychiatric hospital, hoping to send Bartlett's ghost to hell. Patricia and Dahmers chase them through the ruins. Dahmers throws the ashes away, releasing Bartlett's ghost again before Patricia kills Dahmers. I didn't get why why he did. So Dahmers, Jeffrey Combs, is just insane. He is like, um, what's his name from that? From What's that show I hate? X-Files. He's like Mulder. He's the one that gets all the weird cases, but he has not dealt with it as well emotionally as Mulder does. So it's kind what? of driven him a little crazy. He wears an iron vest to protect himself. He has oh, tattooed various... Of that yeah. iron vest. <laughs> that was maybe one of the best moments of the movie for me. Because <laughs> they know all the mysterious deaths the victims have had their hearts crushed. So he's wearing that thinking it will protect him. He thinks at one point that Bannister's trying to use his uh, psychic powers on him to crush his heart. But he's like, ha ha, I have an iron vest. You can't do it. Uh, we also find out later that he's got all kinds of symbols etched on his body. I don't think they're tattooed. Yeah. I think they're just carved into his body's protective glyphs and things. Says like, my body is a roadmap of pain or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he just gives a great over the top 110% performance in this movie but he seems to believe all this stuff so i don't know why he released bartlett's ashes i guess because he still is convinced that frank's behind it all and thinks he's just bullshitting with these ashes ashes i don't know but this uh releases the ghost yeah and you know, then I, uh, patricia he was one of my favorite uh characters in this movie and i think it was because he just gave one thousand percent like he, yeah. you know, he was committed to this character. Yeah. There were moments, though, that I even saw, like, there were moments that I was like, did Will Defoe base his character in Boondock Saints off of him? 
<laughs> like it was the same intensity. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Oh, there's one part where he's going. Th- he's telling the story of how Frank's wife died and that she had the number carved in her head and Frank's utility knife was missing. And he mentions a couple of numbers and then he stops and starts ruminating on the numbers and what possible significance they might have. It was Mm -hmm. just such a great moment because it just shows that he's just full of nutty theories that have nothing to do with what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. So we find out later that these numbers are his, his kill count. And they had physically carved the number in his uh, wife's, Deborah's head, forehead. But he sort of uh, ghostly writes the numbers in sort of glowing numbers on his other victims, the victims that he's killing right now, on their foreheads before he kills them. And Frank can see them. So he, I think he even tells the newspaper lady that she's next, but and mm-hmm. she takes that as a threat when it's meant to be a warning. Let's see. Patricia kills Dahmer's, Bartlett's ghost, and Patricia hunt down Frank and Lucy. Frank realizes that Bartlett's ghost, with Patricia's help, was responsible for his wife's death and the number on her brow, and that he's still trying to add to his body count and infamy even after his death. Out of bullets, Patricia strangles Frank to death, but Frank in spirit form rips Patricia's spirit from her body, forcing Bartlett to follow them. Bartlett grabs Patricia's ghost while Frank makes it to heaven. Okay, so there's a a tunnel, a portal Mm -hmm. to the next world that opens that you're supposed to go through, and we see a couple of people go through it. Yes, they multiple and call it a corridor. Corridor, that's it. A corridor, but... (laughs) (laughs) A corridor in a very broad sense. But it's a it's a circular tunnel of light. But ghosts are people who fail to go through for one reason or another. Uh, he asks, what's his name? Ray. He's like, Ray, why didn't you go through the corridor? And I guess he had unfinished business. So he tells him you'll have another chance in about a year when you see it uh-huh. go through it. But some of these ghosts have been here for a long time. So I don't know if you pass it up your second chance if you don't get a third chance. The judge seems to be falling apart. They, their ghosts seem to, well, some of them can change their appearance, but others seem stuck with their appearance when they died. But the judge's appearance seems to be connected to the current physical state of his body because he's mm-hmm. falling apart. He's been dead a long time. His body's decaying and his spirit form is decaying as well. So it seems like maybe if you hang a lo- hang around too long, you... Uh, will start to dissipate and if your body completely goes you'll go too and i guess you won't go to either heaven or hell you'll just disappear yeah that's hmm. depressing that is or i don't know maybe that's a, that's a, i'm not yucking anyone else's yum if that's what you want for the afterlife <laughs> uh but it appears that both the drill sergeant and the bad guy can control their appearance oh because uh-huh. uh yes Bartlett I forgot can, the drill too. Yeah, because uh, because at one point he just uh, is suddenly wearing a helmet and carrying big guns, and okay. also seems a little bigger than he was. And which then Frank learns to do when he's in spirit form, and Bartlett is able to appear like the Grim Reaper, and and he scares all the other ghosts. But then he can leave that and go back into his Bartlett form. And he seems to be like. More powerful than the other ghosts. 
Yeah. Well, I think all of it is a matter of will, the, your capacity to influence the outside world or the physical world. It's got to be a matter of willpower. And he just has a big ego and a big personality, yeah. a big will to do harm, which would also play in with the drill sergeant. He's got a strong will so he can alter his form easily. Uh, okay, whereas, the, whereas the judge has been here too long and is just kind of losing his will to <laughs> remain he coherent. <laughs> yeah, he's he's losing it. He's quiet quitting. <laughs> until he, until he see, yeah. <laughs> Although until he sees a pretty mummy and then he's all full of vim and vigor. <laughs> oh, but we, anyway, I was t describing the corridor because as uh, Frank rips Patricia's spirit out of her body, they both start heading up through the corridor. And Bartlett grabs onto Patricia's, like her feet, and is getting dragged up to heaven with them. And Frank gets up to heaven. And as they're coming up after him, the color of the corridor changes from a kind of whitish blue to red, and they get pulled down in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And a bit, and get eaten up by the corridor. Then turn they get uh, there's like tentacles and things come out and they start grabbing them. And then a mouth closes on them, and the corridor sort of turns into a big snake or worm-like creature that then goes yeah. down into the earth and takes them down to hell. Yeah, that was unsettled. I was I was, <laughs> I was no longer settled at that point. <laughs> Uh, what year did Ghost come out? Oh, I don't know. Because it has similar... I'm trying to look it up here on the... There's more films than you would think called Ghost. <laughs> ghost ghost or Ghosts. 1990. Okay. So a few years, a few years before this. Because it's got a lot of the same ideas in it of, you know, not that they originate with that movie either. But I, don't we see some people get pulled down at one point? Yeah, it's we like see people, uh, we see people like catch shadow. their trip. Yeah, they're like shadow arms that come out and pull them down. Yeah, yeah. So we see some good people catch the the highway to heaven, and we see some bad people get dragged down. And then there's some ghosts wandering around who haven't gone where they're supposed to go. Anyway, they get they get pulled down into hell by a giant worm like creature. Frank learns it is not yet his time. His, his two buddies, his buddies got uh, sort of cut up uh, by the bad guy, reaped. But it turns out they went to heaven when their spirits got destroyed. They weren't really destroyed. They got sent to heaven. And they greet him and they look much neater, <laughs> much more put yeah, together now. Yeah, got the things they wanted, like a cigar yeah. and change yes. clothes. <laughs> and they tell Frank it's not his time yet. And Deborah appears to him and tells him to be happy, gives him permission to go off with the new girl that he's met. And he gets sent back down to Earth. Frank and Lucy fall in love. Lucy is now able to see ghosts as well. Frank later begins demolishing the unfinished dream house and building a life with Lucy, while the morose looking ghost of Dahmer's is riding around in, the sh in Sheriff Walt Perry's car. The sheriff, who is also Frank's friend, approaches him and reveals that the police discovered a huge collection of Ouija boards in Patricia's room. This causes Frank to realize how Johnny managed to come back to the world of the living as Patricia used the Ouija board to bring him back from hell. Frank and Lucy then enjoy their picnic. Did she need a lot? You only need one. Why did she have a collection right. of Ouija boards? It does not necessitate many. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, this one didn't work. Ugh, let me try this one. <laughs> that one didn't yeah. work. So, uh, and then uh, she, uh, so yeah, she sees Dahmer's in the back of the car. And uh, Frank had said something earlier about it's trauma can sometimes sort of open your eyes to the to the ghost world. And so this has happened to her. And then she puts the picnic blanket up over her head and is going, ooh, and they start playing Don't Fear the Reaper. A slight spoiler for Halloween Ends. They close that movie with Don't Fear the Reaper, and it pissed uh, me off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fucking, I was like, really, guys? Because I, I, I don't think Frighteners is the only horror movie to have closed with that. But I just, ex- <sighs> to see it being done now with that movie in particular, it just it just made me mad. I was like, come on, guys, can't you? It wasn't even like a new cover or anything. It was just, uh, it just seemed lazy and lame. But with this movie, the the ghost is appearing as the Grim Reaper. So, you know, it's a little more specific. Well, I have not watched Halloween Ends yet on principle alone because they have been promoting (laughs) it so heavily on Bravo and The Real Housewives. That I'm, I mean, like, Jamie Lee Curtis was on an episode of one of the Real Housewives and oh, then was on, like, their reunion show promoting it. Okay. And... Well, that explains. So somebody, like, in the studio, studio uh-huh. head or somebody, gave her a trophy that was a, a golden hand grenade with a little plaque that says, Our Weapon of Mass Promotion. <laughs> So, okay, I did. I did not realize she was going not just on the regular talk show circuit and not just posting on Instagram, but going on the Real Housewives and and stuff. Yeah, now, I mean, and now I'm like, what else has she been on? I mean, to I saw her. On, I saw her on Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy got her to sign a paper, a declaration swearing that she would never be in another Halloween movie. (laughs) (laughs) Cause he's like, you claim this is the, you say this is the last one you claim. Are you willing to put that in writing? And he had it like in the form of a scroll. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I, Jamie Lee Curtis, daughter of Janet Lee and Tony Curtis do hereby (laughs) declare and decree (laughs) that I will never be in another Halloween movie. So help me God, Baba Booey. <laughs> so I, I don't believe this is the last house. I believe it's the last one she's going to be in. But I'm going to say, I think Tom Brady signed re- retirement papers too. And we've seen how yeah. that. I'm sure. I don't doubt that in 10 years, the studio might reboot the whole thing. Right. Which they've done before. Just mm-hmm. do another remake or something with whoever the current Rob Zombie type guy is. Maybe right. it'll be 20 years, maybe not 10 years. Uh, I'd rather see something new, but... Well, I watched it because that's going to be our finale for the 31 Days of Horror. So, people, folks, you still have a few more days before we get to that. If you want to go watch it, it's on Peacock if you don't want to go in the theater. Or if you're just already paying for Peacock, you may as well get the most out of it. Uh, anyway, Amber, what did you think of this movie, though? Well, my I at the end said that I felt like this movie was uh, Ghostbusters meets Natural Born Killers, with uh, <laughs> with a little dash of uh, Beetlejuice. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly got a big worm in it. 
like Beetlejuice. Uh, I like it uh, much more than any of those things that you mentioned. <laughs> well, I way yeah, more than I, Ghostbusters. I'm a natural born killer fan, um, but I do love Ghostbusters and I do love Beetlejuice. So oh, I loved this. I like Beetlejuice. I hate Ghostbusters. Mm. <laughs> Bill Murray's well, character is just the worst. I want to say that you and I discussed like Tim Burton the last time I was on your show. Tim Burton. Well, uh, Beetlejuice is a bit of an exception, uh, but many Tim Burton movies just leave me feeling empty and hollow. Uh, did he? Did he write Beetlejuice? Mm. Because that might Beetlejuice is definitely one of his better movies. It's up there with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. But uh, Edward Scissorhands and. Nightmare Before Christmas are just empty and hollow. Uh, I hate his Batman movies. <laughs> <laughs> and he should be the art production guy, but not the actual. He should not be the director. He did yeah. not write the screenplay. So that might be why it's uh, uh, not an empty, hollow, <laughs> all all style and no substance because he is he is just the director and not at all responsible for the story or the screenplay. So there you go. Mystery solved. <laughs> yeah. Uh and yeah, Ghostbusters, you shouldn't you should banish ghosts, not put them in a box cuz someone's going to open that box, which is what happens. Uh-huh. And Bill Murray's character, Bill Murray's character is terrible. He's a terrible person. But this movie, I loved. Absolutely love it. I like Michael J. Fox in it. I like Trini Alvarado, John Ashton, Jeffrey Combs. Everybody does a great job in it. I, uh, Michael J. Yeah. Fox, I mean, he's always insanely likable as a leading man. Yeah. I, but, I mean, in this movie, it's this, I mean, I just was so charmed by him. He, you know, and he was in his very young, very handsome era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is probably his only real horror movie because I don't think you can call Teen Wolf a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's only barely a monster movie. Yeah. I mean, in Teen Wolf, he changes into a wolf on the basketball court and nobody <laughs> screams. Nobody right. reacts or their reaction is just stunned silence. He served on the top of the van through town. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So there are non-horror movies where the people in the movie are being horrified. <laughs> but nobody in that, there's no horror anywhere near that. And yeah, it's only barely a monster movie. But we might discuss it next year. Who knows? So yeah, I don't think he's done anything else that would really qualify as a as a horror movie. So how how do we classify uh, Josie and the Pussycats as horror so that you can cover that next year? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just make that a patron exclusive. Yeah, I um I remember you and I talked about this before. But I was listening to your uh, maybe latest episode with Jed, and he mentioned it. And man, I love that movie. It's such a good movie. Yes. Oh, I absolutely absolutely love that movie. It's in my top five. Yeah, I was obsessed with that soundtrack. I wanted oh, yeah. to. I've I've bought it more than once. <laughs> I have it on vinyl. I've got two out of three autographs. I just need a Rosario Dawson. I went out in public to a freaking. Comic Con 
because I haven't gone anywhere since COVID started hardly at all. <laughs> but I but to get Tara Reed's autograph, I braved the cootie filled nerds at the Comic Con <laughs> to get Tara to get Tara Reed's autograph. How was she? She was well. I got there first thing because I wanted to mm -hmm. get it and go. I got there before she did, so she seemed very tired. Oh no. But she was very friendly and very nice, and she wanted to be make sure that I got a, a picture because I paid to get an autograph and to get a picture taken. She wanted to make sure that the picture was to my liking because the first one wasn't that great, and she was like, "Are you sure you want to do another one?" So yeah, she was uh, she was very nice, and right. she's trying to push she's trying to push for a sequel, and uh, yeah. I saw. Rosario respond to her post about that saying, yeah, let's get the band back together, which she's going to be the most difficult one to get. So she's on board. Of course, yeah. if there's a sequel, it's got to be in outer space. It has to be Josie <laughs> and the Pussycats in yeah. outer space. Yes. Uh, anyway, anything else about the Frighteners? Um, no, I mean, two very enthusiastic thumbs up. Well, we rate things uh, on a one to five pumpkin scale here. So. Oh, well then, uh, one to five. Yes. Oh, I, I get a ten. I get So I'm using what the scale that Netflix used to use, and then they changed it. It's still five, but uh, one is I hated it. Two is I didn't like it. Three is it was okay. Four is I liked it, and five I loved it. Five for sure. Five yeah. pumpkins. Yeah, I'm going to give it five, too. Definitely. Is it streaming anywhere right now? I'm going to tell the folks where they can watch it. I watched it on Peacock. That's right. So if you if you have a subscription to Peacock, I don't. it might also be on the free version. I don't know. I subscribed to Peacock a while back. I don't. There is a free version. I don't know what the restrictions are. And then there's a premium version that has no ads. I have the, the Goldilocks version, the, the middle <laughs> version. I, that's I think one of them too because I definitely have ads. <laughs> yeah, so it's on Peacock, or if you wanted to actually own it, it's available on Vudu and Prime and Apple and Redbox and all those things. So, uh, highly recommend it. If you're a Peter Jackson fan from his Lord of the Rings stuff, you can see his work developing in this movie. You should go back and watch all of his stuff that you can find. As I say, some of his older stuff's hard to. Hard to get a hold of these days. So yeah, that'll that'll wrap it up for us today, folks. Be here tomorrow for another movie. And of course, on Halloween, when we'll discuss Halloween ends, you got a few more days to go out and watch it. Until next time, remember to keep calm and seek shelter in basements. <laughs> and don't misuse science. I will not see you, but you will see me. You will hear me next time on Monster Movie Funtime Go. You've been listening to Monster Movie Funtime Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato folk rock punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg. Funtime Go!